joined by Donna Landy recently. Had a really good chat in regards to the issues around the list that kicked off a few weeks back. Um, but also spoke about Donna's uh, family life, the fact she's transitioned, uh, her start in comedy, her love for comedy, and all those sort of future plans around comedy as well. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Very informative chat. Um, covered lots of topics. Really good. Really appreciate the time. Hey Donna, how you doing? I'm okay, thanks. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you oh. for joining me. You're welcome. Uh, just trying to figure out how to turn the volume down on everything else on my computer. <laughs> Given that this runs in a browser, that's quite tough. Because... Uh, um, hmm. I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> Right, I, I did see, didn't you work in computers and things? Is that your, your realm? It is my realm. Of course, I can't bloody figure it out. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I, I sell IT solutions and software, and I'm still very, not very good at technical stuff at all. Yeah. Uh, well, I um, uh, wonder if these things are going to ding. I think it only dings on my phone. Let's see. Let's see as we go along. I'm sure it'll be soon. Work it out. Yeah, it's a very amateurish podcast. Anyway, I won't worry about it too much. <laughs> yeah. oh, there's me thinking. Oh, broadcast quality. What are we going to do? Ah. <laughs> well, um, so I appreciate you because I know we only spoke a couple of weeks back for the first time. I know uh, with Facebook, it's a good networking tool, isn't it? And uh, we've sort of been friends and have friends of friends across the comedy world. Yes, it, 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 very much so. I mean, it's, it seems to be a smaller and smaller world. Um, and like, I mean, I only joined Facebook in April to put on a surprise party for my um, for my ex on Zoom um, because she was so down in the dumps. And um, now you can't really get me off it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I only joined in October, and again, purely for the sort of comedy networking and um, that side of it, really. I'm not much of a social media person. No, and I'm thinking, wow, I was really missing out all those years. But um, I don't know. And now it seems to take up all my free time and I have no peace of mind. And <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. wait, wait, where did all that time go? It has it has a lot of benefits, but it's the uh, I think especially with the, the lockdown and some of the, the things that we're experiencing in the comedy world at the minute, there's a lot of uh, negativity and stuff happening. That's not great, is it, on social media at, at times? Well, no, luckily I stay out of politics completely, which is good. Um, yeah. That is a minefield. Um, but I have got quite involved in the list. I don't know if you're aware of this list. Yeah, thing. very aware of this list. I've been um, watching and seeing how it's been unfolding and splitting the comedy world into three in some cases. Yes, there's been lots of um, lots of splitting and well, people sitting smartly on quite smartly, I think, on the fence um, because there's no. I think there's no real win ultimately, and I, that, to be honest, has been getting me down quite a lot because it just seems like um, we can't. There's no way of winning this one. We can't. No. Um, we can't report. We can't ever get a conviction, or you can't do a proper report without evidence, and most of the time there isn't any evidence precisely because of the way the attacks occur and um people aren't stupid they don't do it in public so 
Um, you're never going to get anything that you could actually prove categorically. But then at the same time, then it's all done on a nod and a wink. Everyone knows who the bleep bleeps are. Um, mm. But it just, it just has to be said on a whisper because you can't say it formally and you can't put it in a list. But then, the, which is kind of, but the problem with that is that any new acts coming in, unless you know people already in the business, then you're not going to get warned about potentially dangerous people or people who might put you off comedy. And I've even, I mean, I'm a new comic, I only started in June and I've already heard, well, I'm, I think I know two comics who quit because of harassment and abuse. And I've heard of a third one and a fourth one only didn't quit because I had a big conversation with her and calmed her down and talked her out of it. So and, and this isn't uncommon. It's really, really common. And I'm just like, how many more women have to quit comedy before something actually freaking happens? It's so frustrating. And and we can't win. We can't win. If we if we don't say anything, that's our fault. Then we should have reported it. If we do report yeah. it, then we shouldn't have. If we, yeah. make, if we make a list, we shouldn't have made the list. If we don't make a list, why didn't we make a list? If you release the list, why did you do it in that stupid-ass way? If you didn't release the list, well, then you shouldn't have done it. You, you should have done it. I mean, it's, whichever way we do it, it's wrong. It's wrong, 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 and we can't win. So I don't know what we're supposed to do. I really don't know what we're supposed to do. Um, I, I love this new initiative, the Get Off campaign. I think that's fantastic. I think that will that will help. That will definitely help. I don't think it's the the answer, but it's definitely an answer, um, and I, I support them a hundred percent. But so I'm not, I'm not too aware of the Get Off campaign. Do you want to just give us a bit of a rundown on what this is? Yes. Well, um, I think the LCA, the Live Comedy Association, they were aware that there was an issue and they wanted to address it. And this is the off, this is the offshoot of them and Equity. So it's got support from the industry and from the union, which is great. And what it is, is the equivalent of an HR department in another, in, in any sort of other uh, industry. So I don't know, in the last company I worked at was an engineering firm. If someone had said something to me that upset me, you know, that I had a, that was discriminatory in some sort of way, I could go to HR and say, listen, can I have a little chat off the record? So-and-so mm -hmm. said something to me, it felt discriminatory and they'd be like, yeah, okay. And they'd listen and, and either action would or would not be taken and it would be completely confidential. So that sort of thing, I think, is fantastic in the industry. Certainly someone you can actually turn to and talk to will listen, take appropriate action if necessary, maybe have a chat with the person involved, maybe not. It's really then in the hands of people who are hopefully professionally trained. And that's that's really what you need. The, the only thing, any sort of question mark I have is, what sort of teeth are they going to have? Because I think what's being proposed is a kite mark system of accreditation. Uh, excuse me, let's right. catch my breath quickly. <laughs> I'll rather let it out. <laughs> I rather got myself rather worked up over this, as you can hear. Um, so the, the plan is, I think, to have a kite mark system um, on gigs. So And it's voluntary. Um, it's all by allies of women, of, of which there are many. I mean, most gigs are run by men. There are uh, female-run gigs. Um, but there are a lot of allies out there. And the moment that this came out, that there was going to be a kite mark scheme, so many men came out and said, how do I join? I want to be involved. I want to get kite marked. Let me take part. How can I help? It was, it was really fantastic, the response to that. And then what would happen is, so then to maintain your kite mark, you'd obviously have to make sure that you kept a safe space for um, female gigs and for female comedians and for um, non-binary and trans 
act so that everyone was safe in in the space and that if there was an incident you'd take action and, and restore the safety so that is all really 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 good uh, i'm not completely convinced how that um how that then works with the known problem people that the industry knows about because then they've done stuff in the past which you can't really address or i don't know how they would plan to address that so yeah fingers crossed that is definitely going to have an effect I, and on the other hand i think the list the releasing of the list had an effect as well i mean apart from the outrage that was generated um one of the positive effects well i've heard at least one promoter about whom there have been a number of well he's one of these people who've who's known in the industry for being not dangerous but creepy yeah uh, and he stopped being creepy overnight. Um, I've heard from three different people at, at three different gigs. He's been completely fine, and his, his gigs are completely okay and and fun. I'm like, wow, that's a that's a turnaround, you know. And like, yeah, nothing yeah, had to happen. Good. No run toward action. Yeah, that's a really good result. And that that's sort of maybe because again, what happens with these things? We often swing too far, don't we? One way and just go right, cut everybody off, and then there's no education rehabilitation you know nobody's better what you're doing is then cutting these people off to go and continue to be they're not addressing their behavior well so yeah. when a person can't promote comedy anymore and you think well that's great that's fine but then they're not changing who they are and if they go and run a bar or they go and do something else they'll they'll still continue this behavior that is you know leading to be dangerous and unsafe and that that's what needs to be addressed that's actually that is actually a very good point, and um, and there are a number of people who contacted the list author to to say, what am I on the list for, and mm. how can I get myself off it? And they've had very sort of fruitful and productive conversations and got themselves taken off it, and you know by saying, well, yeah, that's that's obviously bad, and I won't do that again. So, I think people didn't realise this because of the way the list was released and there wasn't much communication around it. And then there was a huge amount of stress, and I don't want to get into too much details around what happened. But yeah, um, but yes, I think if there had been more communication about that, then maybe there'd be less upset. Um, now the other the other sort of catch twenty two is obviously if you're named on that list, um, you don't know, and you don't. There are no reasons given. You don't know what you've done. Now you might know what you've done, and you might be like, well, okay, fine, I don't like it, but fair play. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. for example, it might be somebody who, if you like telling kind of jokes that um, that women find offensive, for example, um, that could be you. Um, and you might have been approached about this in the past and you might have said, not you personally, but I mean, one, you, uh, th that person might have um, might have said, well, I don't care. I want to do those kind of jokes. It's a free country. I can do that if I want. Yeah. Uh, and we'd, people might be like, OK, fine. But then I wouldn't want a, girl, a girlfriend to go to your gig and come back and go bloody hell you know the things that guy talked about um uh, i really you know felt offended upset you know that's not what you want from a comedy gig so on the one hand yes you have the right to say those sort of jokes but on the other hand i think people who are likely to be offended or hurt by what you're saying they should have a right to know in advance that they're at risk of that and the promoter should also have the right to know what they're booking because uh, i think i think that's a very good point i think there's you know, I, I have been flagged for my material from there's a, a sort of a group of uh, of comics, well, one in particular that I don't get on with. Um, and he doesn't like my material. Um, and 
oh, you know, have had this where, um, you know, and to be completely candid and just to sort of open up the conversation. So I'm not sitting here not saying anything when this has been addressed publicly. But um, yeah, I, I had this conversation or didn't have a conversation essentially. But um, somebody had said, uh, somebody had posted about struggling to get uh, women on, you know, to put themselves forward for gigs. Um, and it's quite common. Obviously, a lot of women are, especially in the open mic circuit, reluctant um, to come to new gigs and do stuff like that. So I've got a group of female comics who rotate and come and do the gig that I run. Um, and I sort of posted, yeah, I have a similar thing. I have a, a group of female comics who kind of help get involved. And uh, I have a, a group on uh, Facebook chat on Messenger where they're happy to come as you know, chaperones or they're happy to be spoken to or whatever. Just sort of if somebody wants to find out about the gig or find out about us. And, you know, I thought I was helping. Like, you know, I've sort of put that out there as a promoter of a night. Um, and again, this guy sort of jumped in and went, well, your material, you need to have a look at your material. It's, you know, it's disgusting. You talk about sex, you talk about this, that and the other. Um, and that's exactly why women aren't coming on. And I was like, not really, that's not really helping, is it? Because you're not, that's not affecting you. That's your opinion. As I was saying, there's women and trans and bi, you know, females are coming on to comics that are coming to do the night and they're, they're safe and they're looked after. And, you know, there's no sort of worries about my material. They certainly haven't approached me and I still speak to them on a regular basis now. Um, I'm trying to work a solution. And then it sort of got piled on and everyone's like, oh, well, you're just trying to say that you're trying to dismiss him when he's telling you this and the other. And I was like, but it's not, it's not giving any indication because there are people that like that material and there's people that don't like that material. So it can't just be an all or nothing. And as you were saying, is there a way for the Knights to have maybe a rating system? So it's, you know, uh, like you do with, with films, you know, almost like a warning. Like this contains whatever type of material or the nights will contain whatever type of material. And you can have a more I'm trying to think from a promoter's point of view, you could have a more PG 13 or, you know, 15 rated night. And then some nights you could have a more 18 R rated night where it's people coming in and they can expect a certain thing. And then the comics will deliver that type of thing potentially. Yes. I, I know what you mean, and it is a sort of it is a debate I have internally sometimes as well about. I mean, my set is is really dirty. I have a really dirty mind. I don't mind saying, <laughs> and I've had people leaving going, "Hmm, was funny, but really dirty." <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. yeah. Um, so in a way, you know, you could say, well, some somebody might get offended by what I do, and they, and they might. But I think you kind of expect if you go to an adult comedy night that it could be dirty. Um, mm. You know, yeah, for references. And, and um and where it's appropriate like if it's a zoom gig then we will put that on you know 18 plus recommended age but i think um i'm, I'm just wondering you know that there's for example the things that have offended me on on a zoom gig as a woman um particularly in in america it's much more common than in britain from what i've seen is there are some kind of some male comedians who like to joke about um the the woman they've got tied up in the the trunk of their car um <laughs> The body, the, the one they've got in the cage in the basement, or the, the one they've just buried in the woods, you know. Or, and and I have seen it here. On one of the people who was actually accused on a list, on a list, um, 
sort of teasing teasingly with someone who's, who is standing up for them, um, saying, well, you shouldn't have probably shouldn't have killed so many women in your shed. Ha ha. Um, and I'm like, but, you know, do know that two women a day are murdered by their partners in Britain. That's like, is this really something? Do you really have to make that kind of joke? when the reality is so awful is then really nothing else i mean to joke about on stage could you not avoid that subject and make up pick on something that doesn't kind of you know make light of of, of women's suffering and and of persecution so mm -hmm. i'm wondering really do we do we really want that in in comedy at all i'm i'm very loath to sense to have censorship but yeah, maybe like you say, I mean, if we're going to say, OK, well, we, we um, reluctantly, yes, OK, but then have a rating and say this involves jokes about violence towards women. So don't come if you find that offensive. At, le at least that would be a start. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. And but the trouble with, you know, again, there's two sides to it. You start to go down a certain road, don't you? Um, and it begins to fork off into various different tangents because again there's now um a lot of research being done into male suicides and male abuse and you're going to have these people that sort of start throwing these stats about you know uh, women talking about hitting their partner or shoved you know, putting a shovel over their head and blah, blah 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 and will it work both ways and you'll get you'll definitely get that small and it's not often a large like census who will come in and go yeah no I think we should stop it left, right and centre. But you will always have the troublemakers who try to flip it onto the other side. It makes the conversation very difficult, doesn't uh, it? Yeah, I agree, it does. And I, I think there's a lot of very emotive issues which make it very difficult. For example, people being told they can't say something makes it very... People have a reaction to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which, which is understandable. And when, when we're emotional, we don't we don't come from a rational place trying to find a solution. We, we act out of our emotion. The same with... Um, women who've been abused and if that if it's recent um, their experience then they're we're going to be angry and we're going to be mm. upset and we're going to want we're going to want something to happen like now like shut that person up shut them down exclude yeah them. um and that's this is a perfectly understandable response to having been hurt mm. um so it's quite i was actually there was actually a debate i was part of and right up to this recording in fact um, which was, on the one hand, people saying exactly what you were saying earlier of like, look, whoever that person is, maybe they're unaware of what they're doing, that impact they're having. Maybe they just need a conversation to say, do you realise that what you're doing is leaving women upset um, after every gig? Well, everyone that we've heard about. Um, and would you be willing to have a conversation about it and reconsider? And if that person says, yes, I'm sorry, I had no idea. Um, let's have, Let's chat. Great. Then we can turn that person into someone, especially if that's a, a, a young, talented comedian. It'd be such a shame to have them shut out and then be resentful. And or you can imagine the repercussions on that. But on the other hand, they're, yeah. they're like, look, they've been to all these gigs and every single gig. They've been horrible. They've said this, that and the other. Let's just tell them they can't come to our gigs. Let's not go to any, you know, and you can kind of you can hear both sides of that one. Yeah, absolutely. I think it depends on the person you're speaking to as well, doesn't it? And especially now, like during all lockdown, when we're all kind of feeling like we're being told what to do and controlled by the government and all this malarkey, where your mask don't go out, blah, blah, blah. The, the little things are sparking people off a lot more, aren't they? So it's, it's a difficult time to try and create change, even though it's only a little change. I mean, for example, 
a friend of mine, Emma, um, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, so we was at a gig and I've got a set about um, masturbating and um, talking about the various things that, that men use. Well, you know, there's not a lot, but I was talking about having various lotions and lubes and oils um, and sort of go on to a sort of 10 minute set. It's not all about masturbating, but <laughs> it opens up, it opens up with that. And it, it goes on to sort of having this affair with a married woman who essentially like just treat me like a piece of meat and just did all sorts of horrendous things that I wasn't ready for. Um, and then sort of finish and it, you know, it's funny. It gets a good laugh. It's a good reception. It's, it's dirty, but it's more sort of degrading. Or I've positioned it as degrading about myself. You know, she um, sort of slaps me and, and it's not me sort of doing anything to her sort of thing. Um, and I'm a big fella and it, it comes across quite funny because, you know, sort of it's unexpected. And then I, I come off and, and then I was like, listen, you know, it's really good. And we're having a chat. And she says, you, you make a rape joke in there, which I think you can do without. And I was like, I don't make a rape joke. So, you know, I don't think rape's funny. I don't think there's a room for rape jokes. And um, she says, yeah, you do. You, It's only a quick throwaway line. Um, when you talk about the uh, the lube and all that, and it's all great because you're single over lockdown and, you know, not seeing anybody. And then as soon as lockdown began to ease, this woman comes around and she says, what, you know, what the fuck have you got a rape kit next to your bed? And I was like, I hadn't even thought of that as a rape joke. It hadn't crossed my mind that that would upset somebody. And so she explained it to me. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Doesn't need to be in there. I won't put it in there. Oh, well, that, but that, yeah, now, yeah, I completely get that. So, but I, I hadn't, I didn't think I was making light of rape by putting that line in there. You know, I know I'd, I'd written, a, you know, why have you got a rape kit? And I was like, oh, no, that's, you know, stuff I use for myself. But I hadn't thought of that as a sort of triggering type of, you know, thing. And she was right. You know, I don't need to be, I don't need to say that. You know, I've, I've sort of reworded it and reshaped it and changed it now. But, you know, it only took, that was like the second time I'd done that sort of set. And it only took, you know, Emma, and because we were friends, I guess, it made it a little bit easier for her to approach me, knowing that I weren't going to get, you know, upset or defensive about it um and i was like oh no she's right so i've changed it because it it doesn't you know it's not the end of the world to change it i'm not a professional comedian these things aren't like spread across the world with you know people relying on that joke to be funny i was like okay i'll change it but there's people out there who could have kicked off and could have been like you don't know what you're talking about that's my material i just say what i want and and we'll you know defend it to the hilt when it doesn't really need defending. Does that make sense? I feel like I ranted a bit. Yeah, but no, I, no, like I, I really appreciate your honesty, actually, because you reminded me. I mean, me having transitioned three years ago, I know I can see both sides of the fence. And before transitioning, it's the sort of thing you might casually joke about in the pub about the guy with the Volvo and the shovel and the rope and and the masking uh, the the gaffer tape in the boot, you know and. And ha ha, isn't that funny? I'm like, from a woman's point of view, no, that's not fucking funny. That is scary. That mm. is downright effing scary because it happens and it might happen to yeah. me. And that's the difference of sitting on which side of the fence you're sitting on is suddenly things take on a very different perspective and a very different reality. And for men, it's very, very hard to see. I, I think, I mean, clearly there are some, but 
um, I think for most men, it's it's just an invisibility, that a sort of blind spot, shall we say, about how that occurs to women. Because men in general, um, it's not everyone, men in general are not likely to be sexually abused by a female partner uh, or, or, or a female stranger um, or any kind of stranger. I mean, so it's, it's just a lot less likely and it's not something that men are sort of have to worry about walking home late at night on their own or going at home alone on a bus or getting a lift with a stranger or something it's just it's not like that it's a different it is in many ways it's the same world but it's like you've gone through the looking glass about how things yeah and yeah and absolutely and it's the same it is the same with perspectives from you know black and ethnic minorities um you know women disabilities everybody sees that world differently don't they and if you don't have a so again i was speaking to some friends of mine i my upbringing was you know uh, i'm 39 so brought up in an era where you know you don't cry you don't share your feelings you're not lovey-dovey but that's how you brought up i went to an all-boys school i've always played football always been in you know the changing rooms and all lads as lads um I've got women friends, but I don't have, you know, like close women friends where they come around for dinner, you know, in big groups and I hear their conversations and the things that they're going through and all that sort of stuff. So my my outlook and my brain and my personality is shaped by everything that I've been, I've seen and experienced and been trained by. And so to change that and to to be different and again, I think maybe being a dad helps. I've got a boy and, you know, I know I don't want him brought up the same way and I have to be more expressive with him and let him express and be sensitive and all those things. And it doesn't come naturally. And because that doesn't come naturally, it then enables me to realise that the other things that don't come naturally, I need to work on. But there's a there's a whole generation of people that are well, men, I'm going to say, you know, that are brought up like that in a certain narrow viewpoint that's all you know it is very much like that um I'm, I'm a few years older than you and uh i think it was even worse in our era um when we were growing up about you know boys don't cry and mm. all of that thing and yeah it's a tough one it's a tough one i mean you know i was i, I was called i was teased as being soppy when i was a kid and now yeah well, i'm a woman and i'm emotional <laughs> <laughs> perfect yeah and i was a yeah. i was a skinny lad and now i'm a thin woman hey hey win-win <laughs> <laughs> oh and that's great and you know and that's um you know like i say of um a couple of the comics that i know in, in our sort of south coast group um uh lesbian bi transitioning um, completely uh, transitioned um and so i'm learning because again, I didn't know anybody who was transitioning or uh, was, you know, I don't really know. I know a lot of gay men. I don't actually know that many lesbian women, weirdly enough, considering I know quite a big extensive friendship group of um, of gay men. But yeah, uh, it's just learning, isn't it? I suppose across the board. And yeah, I suppose you've got to be open to new ideas, I think which is where we seem to be struggling with everyone just like, no, this is it, and I'm not changing. And that seems to be where the arguments stem from. Yes, and I, I think, well, there's a sense of loss, there's a grieving process of things. 
like my mum, you know, older generation, bless her, she just really can't get her head around, which didn't really didn't want to give up the idea that she couldn't, uh, of telling Irish jokes, you know, because that's how she was brought up. And that was the whole generational thing. It was around when I was growing up. And they, yep. people in my, my circles didn't think twice about it. And, you know, it's only when I sat down and I said, look, you know, and calmly, and when I reacted at various points, that didn't help at all. She just reacted back. But when I sat down and said, come on, look, you know, mum, it's it's very funny until you happen to be Irish. And then it's not funny at all. Then it's hurtful. And she was like, yeah, I can understand that. But I, but she still wanted to tell jokes. Well, you can still tell the jokes. Just tell it about an idiot, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah, you don't need to nominate them Irish. And and then and then a day or two later, she was telling one to my kids. And, and I was like, thanks, mum. You know, and <laughs> it's hard to appreciate that it, we get so morally righteous about it and so offended when people do it. And, and you know, maybe we're right to be like that. Um, but that it's just hard for them to change, especially as, and I just thought about this the other day, right? I mean, we also, kids always tend to think we're, we're smarter than our parents, but to our parents, we're the new, kid, new kids on the block. They've been around a heck of a lot longer than we have. We've got yeah. telling them how to run the flipping world. Um, so the fact that they're willing to change for us is actually quite a big deal. And I, I appreciate that. So... Like you say, having kids changes you, doesn't it? It really does change your perspective about who you are and what you want for the world, for the future, and what you want for them. So massively, yeah. And so anyway, we are we're thirty minutes into our comedy podcast. <laughs> we put the world to rights yeah. a little bit, which is good. <laughs> and um, so, so, I mean, tell us about yourself then. So you only got into comedy in June. Yeah. Um, you only got Facebook in April. So where does this where does the love of comedy come from i think i've always um had a secret desire as a kid i would do puppet shows uh, mostly comedy unfortunately we unfortunately we only had one joke and it went on set for a very long time and my, and my <laughs> to the audience and they got a bit fed up um but i did stuff at school and um then just had one bad experience at school and didn't for a very long time uh, but then loved going to stand-up clubs and particularly the one in Sirencester, one of Spiky Mike's. Um, and uh, Ignacio used to, um, Ignacio Lopez used to uh, compare a lot of them. And it was just, a, it was a brilliant club. And I was with it right pretty much from the inception when it used to get quite a sparse crowd until a few, six months later, it was packed out every flipping time. You had to book it early or you wouldn't get a ticket. And, and it was great. And then during um, lockdown, I was really missing my stand-up. And I was thinking, you know what? There's this thing called Zoom and there's comics who aren't working. Why don't I just throw a couple of hundred quid at it and set up a gig? So I was in the middle of oh. into all of that um, when I discovered this course on Laughing Horse website and thought, oh, I could do a weekend course on Zoom and a five-minute show, which I did. Um, uh, and, and you know the rest is history. Is I'm sh as I'm sure you know. Once you get bitten, you get bitten, and uh, yeah, you're bitten by the bug. So that's where that all came from, really. And who runs the Laughing Horse course? Who was that? Uh, that's run by Jay Seldegar. He's um he's a pro circuit comedian. Um, he's semi-retired now. He doesn't do a lot of touring. Um, he's got. Um, youngish family so he wants to spend a bit more time at home which is understandable so these uh, these courses which he used to run in london and over zoom they're like a gift really to him and to the rest of us i mean i would never if i'd had to go to london to do that course i would never have done it but i'm so glad i did he teaches it's a really beautiful method he's got of teaching you he le just leaves your material alone so your voice is left untouched 
but he shows you how to like make your material funnier just through editing it down um which is great and i've met some amazing people through his courses we me and some other graduates from the laughing horse we took a show called insanitized to brighton fringe which is quite a bonkers thing to do really and we were all so new at comedy um but i couldn't resist we got a little space down at uh, one of the pubs there and we put on seven shows and we had an absolute blast and the audience did too to be fair they were roaring so it was really great experience two full houses two big houses a couple of little ones so yeah it's fab and i got brilliant yeah that was really good um i just i don't know i just love making i love making people laugh don't you like when you can and especially telling one on yourself i i like to tell all my comedy really from my own life um so it's got to be for me it's yeah. got to be true or it kind of it doesn't it doesn't ring it doesn't feel right to me and it's usually not that funny either i mean you can have a very clever joke but if it's not your own life the audience won't really won't really go for but when you're making fun of yourself genuinely they will hose themselves laughing yeah no i'm exactly the same it's it's stories it's personal stories and uh and mistakes and all that sort of stuff that you make and yeah and it's it's a tonic isn't it having being left at left with that feeling is yeah it is something that you chase it is like a drug it's something that high that you get from it is amazing yeah isn't it so i think we're all we're all drug addicts in a way <laughs> we are yeah yeah there definite there's a certain type of person who makes a comedian and you know we come with all our our various um idiosyncrasies but there is always that it's a craving and you can see it when people are missing gigs and, you know, hating lockdown and even jumping on a Zoom gig. I mean, they, I, I tried to do one. I, I just, I wasn't a fan. I didn't like it. I couldn't feel, because you can't feel the audience there and your cadence goes and your, your flow. And by the end of my set, I was like, oh, just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I just sort of felt my confidence ebb away because you couldn't feel any, you didn't get any, didn't feed off the energy of the audience. It's, it's it's so different, isn't it? I mean, it's very different for me because I I started with Zoom and I went to live, which is oh, it's almost like yeah. two different mediums in a way. Like with Zoom, you can't if the audience is laughing, you can't start your next line because they won't hear it. Whereas in club, you can keep going unless you know you can keep going and then roll them to the next laugh. It's, so it's very different. It took me. So where was the first gig live? For you it, my first live gig was in finsbury park um at, at some tumble down outdoor amphitheater uh where in the time when you could have an outdoor gathering of up to 30 and oh yeah, yeah it was like something we saw heady times it was, yeah heady times yes <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so we just did it it was just another madcap scheme took an amplifier portable amp on the train up from Devon to London, met my friends. Um, Jay compared it for us very kindly. Um, and we had a great time. Um, and, and again, you know, entertained everyone, lots of laughter. And it was, it was a really fun day. I'm, my kids came, which was brilliant, but excruciatingly embarrassing because as, as I say, my stuff is filthy, dirty, and I really knew it wasn't the sort of thing I wanted to be telling my 15 and 11 year old. God, I cringe when I think about it. <laughs> but you know had to do it it was my weekend to have the kids um so that's what we did nice and how nervous were you in front of an actual audience from zoom um not actually that nervous it was really strange 
Um, I mean, like my first gig on Zoom, I was petrified. It was it was worse than my bar mitzvah. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I was. So you're Jewish? I'm Jewish. Yeah, I'm Jewish. Oh. Um, and if if you if you'd like a tip about um, growing up trans and Jewish, I'd I'll, I'd love to give you one, but unfortunately, I no longer have it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Yes, I grew up. I, I do some stuff about anti-Semitism as well, because um, something I've been looking at recently is, you know, we kind of grew up with this myth of oh, there wasn't really anti-Semitism in Britain. There's not really anything apart from apart from that time that kid said to me at school, "Oh, my dad says the Jews killed Christ." I'm like, oh, yeah. or all the time, oh, or not going into prayers. And uh, I don't know what it's like now in school, but probably don't have prayers. But in my day, it was assembly and prayers, and I couldn't go in. Couldn't eat the food at lunchtime. Um, there's all sorts of things. Um, casual, casual comments that were made that just kind of hurt and othered me. I, I, I mean, that phrase to other someone is only something I've learned in the last couple of years. And it never really. It, yeah, what's, that? what's that mean? To others. So it makes you to remind you that you're different. Oh. To remind you that you're different. So you're not really one of us. Yeah, I'm British, but I'm not really British, am I? So when, like, for example, so I imagine myself as, uh, until I was 21, that I'm white. You know, I grow up, I'm, I, I look whiteish. I, I mean, look Italian or, or Greek or something like that, Mediterranean, but that's a kind, a kind yeah. of white. But then when I go up to college, all these people are asking me, um, so where, where, where are you from? I'm like, well, I'm from Cambridge. I grew up in Cambridge and I went to uni at Cambridge. So they're like, where are you from? I'm like, actually from Cambridge. No, no, really, where are you from? I'm from Cambridge. Well, where's your family from then? <laughs> like, what are you really asking? Yeah. I said, well, my family's Jewish. Like, ah, oh, okay, right. See you later. And that was it. You know, didn't see them again. So they they figured out I wasn't really British. I'm Jewish. Well, probably not someone we want to socialise with. I'm like, well, that's a new one on me. Yeah. And then there were people like, so you think they were laughing at me for thinking I was white, literally thought it was hysterical that I thought that. I'm like, whoa, what's so funny? So it's really. And, and that those were people on my side. Those were friends, right? Those were people who, who were on my side. They might have been people of colour themselves or somewhere. Fame. Um, so we they were just they found it hilarious that I thought I was white. So it's these sort of things, it just makes you wonder and feel different and and painful. And we one Saturday going to synagogue, we um wearing our Jewish hats, the kippah, had somebody shout shout at me, fucking Jew. And like, oh, no, dirty Jew, beg your pardon, swore for no reason, dirty Jew. <laughs> so, and I was, I was just shocked. I mean, any number of reasons, like, a how, cl how clean are non-Jewish people? I, I just want to know, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, I know non-Jewish people that aren't that clean. <laughs> and why would you, why would you shout that at someone across the street? And why didn't my dad go and beat yeah. him up? I mean, that's millennia of oppression right there of like that you do not stand up for your honor you just keep your head down and you keep walking and hope that they don't come yeah. and get and don't come and get their bloody mates and beat you up right so, that's yeah i mean i i'm super ignorant when it comes to um uh, judaism and jewish people i'm not a yeah don't know anything i am confused that you're you know not regarded as white or what the racism element of being jewish is that makes sense. I I haven't got a. Tell me about it. It's got... very confusing because, in yeah. a lot of ways, we well, it seems like the oldest prejudice in the world, isn't it? I mean, 
going back right back to the New Testament um, times, the New Testament myths, if you're willing to kill God or the Son of God for money, what are you not prepared to do? I mean, in effect, you're the devil. So, and Jews were with horns. If there's anything that goes wrong in the world, it's Jews' fault. You can bet your bottom dollar that somewhere in the world, someone's got a conspiracy theory. Yeah, the Jews' fault, right? So in the oh yeah, I was, I was just going to say my my thing of the Jewish is obviously the uh, stereotypical. Um, uh, what's it like? The Jews running the world. There's a Jewish conspiracy, all the the money side of things running the world, and obviously the like the Nazi Jewish connection. And I still don't understand why they went after it. You know, I still don't have enough historical facts and knowledge to know why there was that persecution of the Jewish by the Nazis. You know, it don't seem to be. I don't think I was ever really taught about that. No, and it's actually it's actually very poorly poorly understood. I think. Um, the reason for Hitler's anti-Semitism. Mm. And it's not not really that hard to um, understand when you know what was going on in his world, because as a corporal in the First World War, he was deeply traumatised by his experience on the front line uh, and saw lots of his mates being blown up, shelled, um, driven crazy, all sorts of things. And then... Yeah, he was a communications officer, wasn't he? He was back and forth along the front line. I remember that much. Yeah, I think. and I think he had a couple of close scrapes himself. Um, and and seeing people being, you know, brave and noble and, and doing great things for Germany. But then yeah. um, there were, towards the end of the war, Germany was in real, really bad shape. There was a blockade and they didn't have a lot of food. And there was a couple of mini revolutions back home, which were blamed on Bolsheviks and the Jews. And when Germany surrendered, rather than admit that Germany had just simply lost the war, the high command spread this myth that the Jews had stabbed Germany in the back. And that was the reason that Germany had lost the war, because it exonerated the German high command. So, you know, Hitler took this to heart and it was all the Jews fault and that his mates had died in vain because of that. And it was and that's where his, his hatred of the Jews was born, I think, part of that and the, the, the kind of the background anti-Semitism of Christianity. I hate to say it because I know a lot of Christians will be listening to this and a lot of Christians, are most Christians are really good people and they want to do good in the world. But at the same time, the foundational myths of Christianity cast the Jews as demonic. And that is a real problem that I think we really have to work out somehow. Wow. Plus, Hitler had a couple of other things that he knew about. The, there was the genocide of the Armenian Christians in the First World War by the Turks, which never got held to account. No one ever got held to book for that. And the Bolsheviks in Russia killed millions of peasants in the Ukraine and nothing ever happened about that. So what he saw was, if you've got some people that are causing you trouble, you can you can murder them and no one will do anything about it. Sorry, this has got rather dark, hasn't it? <laughs> I love it. So like fucking educational. This is the best. I love this. Ask away. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a genius. Yeah. Trans, um... ask me anything. <laughs> Oh, yeah. and yeah, that, that secret cabal of ours that runs the world, I've got to rush off shortly because I've got a meeting, um, uh, you know, to to get my bit, little bit of it. We're not doing very well at running the world. I've got to say, it's a bit of a shit show in America at the moment. And that little oh, country yeah. we've got in the Middle East, I mean, for fuck's sake, it's about the size of Wales. We, only, we had to wait 2,000 years to get it. And we're surrounded by flipping enemies. We're not doing a very good job, are we? No. That's shocking, really. That sort of look, we might well say that the Welsh run the world. So... <laughs> yeah it's um 
Yeah. I mean, I'm love. You know, I I I absolutely love um, speaking to people like yourself, like who are just educated. But the way that you speak, like I was going to say, even sort of having saw the reason like, I sort of reached out was like trying to come on the podcast is even your your handling of the list and the, the things that you're posting and the things that you do post in the groups and on Facebook. It, it's not overly emotive. It's very, um, I don't know what the right word is, but you, you write it very well. Uh, you know, it's very clear and concise and it doesn't, I don't know. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's enjoyable to read, you know, and I, I knew I'd get that in terms of the conversation. And I know I'm not saying a lot and I'm just listening, but I'm really enjoying it. Oh, thanks. Well, that's that's really nice to hear. And that's really good feedback. I, I mean, I do really try and, and be even handed and see things from everyone's perspective, because I mean, I think however we people react, we've all come from somewhere. We're all going somewhere and we all got a reason for feeling and thinking the way that we do. And it's no good saying to someone you haven't got a reason to think, well, they wouldn't have said it if they didn't have a reason to think or feel that. And that needs mm. acknowledging. I mean, like the people who were upset because they were they felt they were unfairly accused. And and I can completely understand that. I'd, I'd hit the roof if I was. I think it's really, it's awful. It's really unfortunate the way that that happened because no sooner had uh, had the, the correct, the correct the original list been released than other lists were flying around from various places just to confuse the issue. And some of them had had um, names of people who were completely innocent added to them. I think it was chaos yeah. and mayhem and to discredit the original list, which... It's ah, oh, I just oh, that's just so awful. I mean, not just not just for the people that have been added, but for everyone else. I mean, for now the list, no one knows which the correct list is, and it's all it's a big mess. Um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, when everything's settled down, and if there's any legal action that's pending that gets resolved, then maybe the true story can come out, and hopefully, it can all get un- untangled. But until then, I mean, I'm quite glad in a way it has settled down on the list. I don't think there's that much more that can be said. But at some point in the future, when the full and true story of what happened can come out, um, then that would be great. I did have, I have to say, there was one really scary uh, um, incident when some, some this chap that I'd never heard of jumped on my comments um, and was really aggressive and uh, demanding to be taken off the list. And I said, well, you weren't actually on the original list. (laughs) by the way i have nothing i had nothing to do i've said this so many times now but i had nothing to do with the compilation of the list i have nothing to do with the dissemination of the list i've never sent it to anyone um i have no influence about getting you taking it off um the, so um and and the list he was on wasn't even issued by the original list person person who issued the original list so really you should go and talk to the person who posted the fake one <laughs> But he he was it's the first person I've met who didn't who was not amenable to reason. They would he was just straight into aggression and threat, and um, it was really quite disconcerting. But thankfully, he before I could block him, he blocked himself, and he's gone. So <laughs> first and last, I hope. Yeah, I say there's no new friend. I think especially now we need to try and be a bit more. I don't know, positive and all that sort of stuff. Just need to be a bit more. I don't know, suffer. Everybody's going through it. I mean, it's a difficult time. You were saying earlier, you know, obviously you got some kids and your ex. I don't know how well you get on with with your ex, but the frail relationship that I have with my exes. I've got a couple of kids and a couple of exes, and it's frayed even more over lockdown. And you sort of 
feel yourself snowballing into these meaningless, pointless arguments. And you have to kind of stop, take a bit of a breath and, and just think, actually, everybody's a bit fraught. Everybody's a bit all over the shop. He's just calm the fuck down a little bit and and just be like, okay, whatever. Just try to quell things just a little bit. I think it's an awful time for everybody at the minute, isn't it? I think you're right. It is very stressful. Um, some people don't have work uh, or their work is uncertain. Health is uncertain for some people. Certain yeah. what's going to happen to my parents is uncertain. Will we all come out of the second wave? Mm. Is there really a second wave? Do we need a lockdown? Do we not? All of those kind of things drives you a bit. And I think, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I mean, I, I can't say I don't understand enough about it. I mean, I don't follow the news that closely anymore because it's just it's no. too, uh, leaves you too up and down. But uh, okay, let's say we do. I, I just can't help feeling I, it's like get this second lockdown. It's like I just don't want to go back to jail. It's like we've just been let out and now on. And yeah. now we've got to go back in. It's hard. And it's even, um, I just think, like, as comedians, and I know, you know, we're amateur comedians, and but you just try to, even if you want to make a point about lockdown, make a point about COVID and stats and the government or America or, you know, the, even the, the whole Me Too movement or the, the Get Off movement or whatever it is you want to have an opinion on, at least try to flavor it in an informative yet funny way if you're going to do it um there's enough news and commentators out there giving you all their own facts and figures and graphs and all that shit if you're going to post it and you're a comedian at least try and you know make it funny i'm not sure if you've heard of a guy called andrew no i haven't so he's an american comedian and on instagram he was doing these like three to five minute videos and it was just picking up on a news item or a couple of news items and he would just give his social commentary on it you know his opinion but it would be very funny like informative but funny he would say you know they're saying this or this is happening and he would just do it in a good way and he's he's a you know pretty famous comedian um in america but i'd suggest checking him out and i was like those sorts of things would be really good why aren't more people kind of doing that we could do that because he you know, wouldn't do it as well as these polished, you know, professionals. But little things, I think we should try to come together as a community and just try to put a bit more fun and content out there that's less aggravating and try to cause more damage. Just try and have a bit of fun. But, you know, everybody's... I don't know, everybody's going to be... I just think we need to look because you ran your own gig, didn't you? Recently, that was like your first gig. Uh, right? Well, yes, that was the um, the one in Tiverton, which I which I, I co-ran yes. with um, Lucy Orchard. Yeah, which uh, that was yeah, just done our first one just before the second lockdown. That was uh, last Saturday. Yeah. But how much fun was that to plan, to organise, and to, I know it must have been stressful when you're sort of getting it going, but to put that on for people to come and watch. Quite fulfilling, yeah, exactly. right? Am yeah, I right in yeah. That? exactly. I mean, it's just brilliant. Uh, booking, booking acts, working with the MC about the running order and who's going to do how much, and setting up the hall and talking to the hosts and working out the menu and how's the logistics going to work and the sound system and flyering in the street and talking to the local people in Tiverton as you're giving out flyers. It's just brilliant. It's really brilliant, the whole thing. And then finally, you know, seeing the finished product and people coming in and having a great night and the acts doing their stuff and having a chance to perform, which there isn't that much of at the moment. Uh, 
So no. and just just turning a profit, which on our first gig, which I think is brilliant, and uh, which we yep. had. And you know, if we can put on carry on doing that on a monthly basis, we can turn that into something really great for for us and for the for the acts and for the people of Tiverton. I think it's going to be something superb. And 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 there was it was yeah. great for women too. The women outnumbered the men on the lineup. So we're hey, which is <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. That, yeah, and that's what was needed. I I put an all female night on with a female N- MC. You know, sort of stayed out of the way of it, and we had sort of eight uh, female comedians on that that smashed the night that I do in Southampton. Um, again, you know that they're, they're out there. It's just got to try and put on, you know, work towards them. And one of the conversations that I had with, uh, I think it was like one of my friends, Vicky Vicky Delirious. I'm not sure if you've come across Vicky on Facebook and in the network. Um, but she's great and she runs a few nights and works with the House of Comedy up here. Uh, and she was saying that there's also trying, you know, in comedy to get over that stigma of, you know, women aren't funny and that whole like stance that people put their stake in the ground, like, well, women aren't funny. I'm not even going to watch it. I mean, you're just cutting yourself off from all this great content and this, you know, hilarious. It doesn't matter if the woman's telling the joke or the man's telling the joke. It's a funny joke. But again, you have those people that put the barriers up straight away. But I'm not going to watch them. Women aren't funny. Just straight off the bat. It is quite quite crazy, isn't it? But, you know, I think gradually, like saying, you know, times change and perceptions change. And, um, you know, hopefully that will become a thing of the past. As you, Like, it's great what you're doing, putting on a, a, a women lineup. That's fantastic. And that, that will change some people's minds. So with your comedy, when you're talking about you're quite dirty yes. with your comedy... Dirty yeah. jokes. Having now written them, sort of post transition, I do you write jokes from the previous perspective of like pre transition, or or is there a mixture? Do you write jokes completely from a post transition? Well, I'm kind of uh, in a way, I'm kind of spoiled for choice because I can not... <laughs> <laughs> got material well, on both. It's more that yeah, uh, no, it's more that I can place myself quite easily in the shoes of a straight guy looking at me and imagine what a large proportion of them are thinking because now it's when you go on stage (laughs) if you if you well you've got to deal with your appearance first and how you sound if you sound different or if you look different um if you if you're incredibly tall or short or whatever whatever your physicality is in a way you've got because if you don't the audience is going to be thinking about it all night so of course I start off with um, what do I start off with? Oh, I do a little gag about the fact that I work in IT and that it's really boring. Um, and then I switch into um, misdirecting them about. I'm not giving too much away now for anyone's coming to watch. My, <laughs> but I, I do some some shtick about my um, my accent and how. I mean, my handle um, on on all the socials is posh tranny with an IE at the end uh, uh, because. You know, I sound to a lot of people, I sound posh, and a lot of people would call me a tranny. And the irony is that I'm not really posh and I'm not really a tranny either. But, but it's kind of a word that the <laughs> trans community have, have uh, reclaimed because it was something that was thrown around as a bit of an insult. Boy, tranny. Um, yeah. You know, so no, we'll have that one back. So I, call myself, I can call myself a tranny. Not so great if everyone else does, but it's fine for me. Um, so yeah, so do some, some shtick about that. But then I've, I've dug really deep and I think it pays 
in a lot of ways, if you can really get inside the mind of your audience about what they're going to be thinking at a certain point and get it spot on, then you can really get them to laugh at themselves. Um, and I do that about how I am as a trans person or how I appear as a trans person, which is absolutely brilliant. I mean, um, I so want to tell you what it is, but in a way, it's uh, such an crucial punchline. Yeah, keep I it, keep that it with, kind um... of out there. But I had this great, oh, Rick, flip it. So here's what I do, right? So this is what I do is um, I say, I do make some men nervous. I hold my hands up especially and I, well the last time I told there was this there was this guy in the front row and I just went a little bit towards him on the stage and especially when there's some good looking guy like you say in the audience and he starts squirming because he's with his <laughs> partner and I go but don't worry lads you're not going to accidentally fuck me and everyone just pees them because they realize that's what they're actually afraid of is that they might accidentally end up in bed with me and then this guy who's been having a great time all night, he, he starts to get up out of his seat, jokingly going, oh, that's it. Then I'm leaving if that's the case. And I just ad libbed and said, oh, he's lying. He's already got my number. And you know, so this <laughs> is a, you can't, I kind of joke it out because that cuts the tension. There's already that tension because I'm trans and people haven't met trans and they don't know what it is. And it just builds this tension up and then we diffuse it. That's what I like doing is. So then you can start to make a difference. And maybe the next time they meet a trans woman, they can just be like, oh, not only do they not have to feel awkward, but they could actually go, oh, you know what? I saw this trans woman comedian and she was funny and da, da, da. So yeah. in that, if I can just make a little difference like that, then that's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, it's, again, a, a friend of mine has done, um, has done a, a couple of gigs with her and she's come and done my gig. And she... Um, talks about she's not fully transitioned um and she up until a few months ago i think just before lockdown she had a beard and this long hair and she looks very feminine but she had a beard and she talks about how she would catfish people at bus stops and she would just sort of have the hair down over the face and you know be looking all sultry in these tight jeans and she knew these people would be looking at her and she'd turn around <laughs> and say hello and just freak all these fellas out at the bus stop <laughs> oh brilliant but she, yeah she's got some great lines and she talks about the divide of men and women and talks about you know she's got kids um and a uh, son and you know she talks about how she explains to him about uh, f- gender and, and fluidity and how you feel and who you are and um, says he went through a phase of saying, well, you know, I'm going to be a girl, call me Sarah. And she was like, that's fine. I'm just going to cut your um, your pocket money by 18%. Just, you know, because <laughs> that's obviously, that's how you're going to learn. And it's just, it's just some really good, like great material, great jokes. And, it, it, you know, it's brilliant. And I don't know, just kind of, it's just funny. Yeah, like I say, I don't... Yeah, I I find all jokes funny. Really, I'm a I'm a fan of comedy. Yeah, same. Doesn't matter where they're from. It's just whatever's funny is funny, and that's that. Yeah, exactly. And you were saying, so you're you're slightly older than me, and I know it's not polite to ask a lady your age, but in the growing up years, um, what were or who? Because you must have had similar comedians, people like. Um, uh, like Jimmy Tarbuck and um, I was saying Jim Jim Davidson, I'm trying to think of the comedians back there. Billy Conley, uh, Dave That's Allen. Right. So were these comedians Dave Allen definitely. Around? Well, I was I was very I was really flattered um, um, 
few weeks ago when two young men in the street when we were having a drink out in the street in Camden um both guessed my age is 28 which I thought was brilliant because I'm actually I'm actually amazing so from now on I'm only having a birthday every (laughs) two years and that's fine (laughs) so yeah there was um yeah remember Dave Allen he he was he was really rude but in a clean kind of way um watching him with with my grandma and, and the whole family and everyone laughing and at the end of it I was turning around to grandma and going hey hang on a minute grandma you're not supposed to get these jokes and she what what jokes mm. it's just, uh, wicked sense of, wicked sense of yeah humor. um yeah there's him there was the two ronnies um monty python yeah 40 towers these were the, the those were the really uh, and yeah there was dame edna everage was the only kind of tra- non sort of um well what's the sort of mainstream transvestite you know this whole like challenging the norms, exactly wasn't she oh who was there, there was kenny everett kenny everett had a character didn't he that he would do um oh, i can't remember the name now i had it tip of my tongue but um he would have this big busty over-the-top american female that he would do on uh on his sort of sketch i, do you remember remember kenny everett? Everett. I don't remember his character though I just remember a catchphrase being it's it's all oh it's all like totally outrageous or something and he would do this big like leg cross uh, all like big busty blonde haired uh, I'll find it and I'll, I'll text it yeah just so you know I'm not crazy but I remember that growing up um, and then so who who would you say you were your icons growing who would you always like or I suppose who did your parents watch and therefore you watch? And then who did you then gravitate to? My parents towards? loved that they loved the two Ronnies and still do. Um, that caught that we were like that caught on. Um, there was a high being served as well, which hasn't aged very well with all its stereotypes. Uh, no, yeah, but I, I think me and my generation, we Monty Python were like the gods of comedy, they just they smashed the mold completely. Um, and that was just that that was outrageous and groundbreaking for all of us of our generation. And even when it not all of it was that even that funny, but the fact that they would even think of doing it, you know, the naked man playing the piano or the larch, the larch thing going on and on, <laughs> number six, the larch. I mean, it's just, just yeah. half, half of it's completely bonkers, but um, it was brilliant. And then their films, yeah. But recently, Milton Jones has had a big yeah. impact. And I never realised you could do that many one-liners, or you, that you could have that many grandfathers for that. For you know, <laughs> which he manages to pull off. Uh, I love that. Um, Sarah Millican had a big impact on me. I saw her um, at one of her Edinburgh shows before she became famous. She ripped the shit out of me in the front row and did it. Be- oh, it was oh, really? I was there on my own? Um, so picked on Deluxe, and she did. She had a great show. It was really, really funny. And I thought, yeah, she got a five-star review. And I thought, yeah, be, yeah, she's really good. And then next year she was on telly. So that was, that was, uh, yeah, just goes to show, you see, you can, you can do it. You can, you can do it. Yeah. So, but yeah, you, you know, it reminded you, the, the, your friend with the beard reminded me, we do get some, yes. because I'm still dad, right? To my kids, I'm still dad, but I'm she. Um, um, so, at school, um, my youngest was explaining to the class that I'd gone to Brighton Fringe or some some show, and yeah, because uh, my dad's actually a comedian, 
And one of the other kids said, is he? And she, uh, my eldest said, um, no, you mean, is she? Because uh, she's trans. And the other kids said, well, wouldn't that make her your mum then? And my eldest said, well, <laughs> yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, that's got to be one for a kid. So she's just they're so great with it. My kids, they, they <laughs> they've adapted so well, and of course, it gives them a massive space to step into, um, and for their own to discover their own identity and so Yeah. Ah. So these days, obviously, you're doing your comedy, and got your comedy night running, all going well still computer programmer are there dreams to go beyond hobby there definitely are um <clears throat> i'm going i'm, I'm work wise i'm writing a book called how to write killer software in vba if there's any computer geeks listening that'll be out um in time for christmas so look out for that as a stocking filler for all your um geeky uh, and <laughs> it will of course be amusing because uh, of uh, comedy training so that'll be that'll be uh, a good laugh as well and um, their <clears throat> plans to go big, yeah, I would love, I would love to make it professional. Um, to earn a living from this would be absolutely incredible. I don't quite know what that looks like. Whether that's at the moment, touring isn't really feasible because my kids are being fifteen and eleven. So it could be more um, writing or shows. I really don't know what it looks like, but it definitely comedy full time is the dream. How about yourself? You got dr big dreams. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would love to be able to be, to just to be able to write constantly um, without any distractions and then just go and perform. Um, I I wouldn't even, it's not the fame that I would crave. It's not that sort of getting on telly, being famous type of thing. Um, it would just be to earn the living that I'm earning now, but just doing comedy would just be ideal, that life. The lifestyle, just writing all day, traveling, performing, and that'd be it. Just be perfect for me. Yeah, wouldn't it just? I mean, do you get, do you get, where, where do you get your best ideas? Uh, I, so I get all my best ideas because I, so what I realized, what I've discussed um, is I seem to have been this sort of comedian in training for most of my life. I, threw myself into new things and would just go and do something that just seemed exciting. Like just, you know, a sort of life magpie seeing something shiny and just going, yeah, I'll go and do that. Um, and all of these stories and um, anecdotes that I've built up, uh, I then, that's all I write about. So I write about all my personal fuck ups and mistakes and people that I've met and these interesting stories that I've heard and, that's that's where it all comes from. I'm not somebody who really makes up jokes or makes up scenarios because there's so much that I've got, you know, that I've already sort of experienced and done myself. I've got three children from three different women, um, which, you know, sounds terrible on any, you know, that should not be my Tinder profile. <laughs> but it it's something. But it, it came about from. You know, and people are like, well, you must be a fuckboy and, you know, fucking around. And I was like, actually, no, I, I was in a long term relationship throughout my 20s. And then I was like, 
Uh, that's done. I'm in my thirties. I had a good wage. I'm going to go out and sow some wild oats. And the first woman I sat and sleep with was wow. pregnant in six weeks. And I was like, well, okay. So I'm, you know, I'm 30, I'm responsible. So that relationship didn't work. A couple of years we tried, we sort of lived together. I got to see the birth of my daughter and support her mum for her pregnancy and have the first year with her. And then, you know, you can't really raise children with strangers essentially. So we didn't, we were never going to have the relationship was never going to work because um, yeah, we fucking hated each other essentially. So that, that didn't work. We split up and then had to fight her to get through like the course to get to see my daughter. I then during that sort of period where I was a bit homeless and sofa surfing and taking her to court, I started seeing a girl at work and within two months she was pregnant. (laughs) Fuck. So again, um, you know, after a couple of, I had to introduce this girl to my mum and dad. I mean, these are all things I talk about in my set, but I had to introduce this girl to my mum and dad and be like, oh, this is my new partner and she's pregnant. Like, that was the first introduction. Were um, they like, oh no, not again? So that was, yeah. My mum was like, what the fuck's the matter with you? Um, I was like, this is what are grandkids? Not at Um, so, again try to you know and again i sort of go whole whole hog type of thing so even though this was like the second time it's happened i didn't you know i wasn't madly in love with this girl but i was like okay let's try it yeah i still paid in to get on her mortgage and i paid like i'd saved up enough money to get my own mortgage but instead i plowed it into that house and did the house up and then when we split up I had to take her through the courts to get to see Alfie because she, you know, mucked around again just to sort of play silly beggars. Um, And then had to take her to court so I could get my money out because I then also tried to start a business with brother-in-law, got arrested for like uh, all sorts of, they they thought we'd run in a gang and sort of money laundering, which, you know, was ridiculous. So um, So that, like was had so I had three different I had like a crown court, family court, magistrates courts all happening at the same time. Um and then during all this I got with my sister's best friend, which you know, she was sort of comforting me. I managed to stay single for a year. Um and then we were together I always moved I got a job down here so I'd moved around for like Leeds, London, all these places. So my daughter's in Hazelmere, my son's in Bracknell and I've got another daughter in Southampton. So I was with this girl four years, a couple of years into it, you know, had a, a, a sort of planned pregnancy. Um, yeah, and then we just split up. So like, the whole story is like these four women over 20 years. And everyone's like, oh, you know, you're not just a fuck boy going around just getting people pregnant and then buggering off. Like, I've had to like fight to see the kids and I have to do this big like 300 mile journey every other weekend to pick them all up and bring them all together. and. Wow. Yeah, that's really, so, that's really some commitment that is. That's to do that. That's love, isn't it? That is love. Well, yeah, I mean, that's you know, again, to me, that sort of shapes my future relationships because you the love that you have for your children is like a real natural thing, isn't it? For anybody that doesn't have children, wouldn't know. Like when you see them, that is like that's proper love to me, and then every other sort of love never quite matched up. You know, it's kind of, so that's kind of what I am now waiting for is this fulfillment from somebody who makes me feel as good as my children make me feel when I'm with them and laughing with them and stuff. 
and that's how you sort of change as you grow up, I suppose. It's not just about how somebody looks or what car they drive or whatever. It starts to mould how you look, you know, your outlook on life and oh, things. fantastic. I was going to ask, I mean, how, how, how quickly did um, your third one get pregnant? Because if it was going to be two months again, I was going to say that be for any with you in future. It's like six weeks, no, bugger off. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was super cautious. Wow. It was two years in. And, um, like, it was two years in and we were like super, ha- like it was amazing. We were super happy. And then it was so strange, like, almost like, got her pregnant and then everything just became really negative and tough and horrible and yeah like I say it was like so I kind of feel a bit cursed so what I've you know is in it's I've take my responsibility from it all um so just we'd split up just before lockdown and I was like speaking to the doctors being like I'm gonna get the snip can keep doing this and uh, a friend of mine jokingly sent me this fertility clinic uh who were after sperm donors and they were like Obviously, you should do this first. Ha, ha, ha. And I was like, well, actually, I might do because I obviously have the power to <laughs> impregnate people. Um, and there's people out there who don't. So, and so, yeah, so now, like, donating to the fertility clinic um, and sort of as that was sort of getting organised, a friend of mine was like she sent me a really seems like apply for the chase apply for who wants to be a millionaire really good at quizzes we do not everyone's doing online quizzes aren't they so i was like winning the work ones and then she's like why don't you try getting on first dates and i was like yeah and i, I sent in this first dates application they phoned me straight up and got me in within a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and i filmed first dates and so that comes out next year and so it's all these things where i just like oh actually yeah all this stuff that I talk about on my co it's like I've built up I've always been accumulating these things to then talk about on stage. I suppose that is amazing. I mean if you a lot of things in life, if you look at them the right way, they just are funny. Or you tell it in the right way. They're just funny. Yeah. Especially if yeah. it's excruciatingly embarrassing. Yeah. Those are usually Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? Where does your like material come from? Do you structure jokes or is it again a very sort of you take something that you've done and put a, a um, funny spin on it? It's a lot of structured jokes, I would say. Yeah, a lot of structured jokes um, where I carefully craft the setup and then deliver the punchline. So I'm not I'm not so much of a storyteller, more of a, a joke teller, I would say. And do you start that off with the punchline and work back or the setup? Well, normally it actually starts off as a bit of a story. So it'll be a little bit of a story. But then gradually I realise that less and less of the setup's needed. And then you just get a tighter and tighter joke. Um, Nice. You cut all the fat away and just have... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that's influenced me is this idea of going to win a gong show. And if you're going to win a gong show, I think you've just got to have quite a high punch rate, uh, a a punchline rate. Um, to keep everyone laughing, because if they're busy laughing, they won't be holding up the card. So um, that was my that was my rationale, <laughs> and I, I can see a lot of comics don't do that, and they do keep you enthralled, even though there's not that not so many punchlines, but just the way that they're telling the story is that actually really holds the attention. So I might I'm not ruling that out. I might try some more of that, particularly if I do a longer set. Um, but yeah, so I was going to challenge myself. 
tonight. I was supposed to go up to I think it's called up you the weren't. Creek on the blackout. Were, there, sort of got... were you on the lineup for tonight? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, and it got cancelled. Well, I'm supposedly on yeah. December the third, the first one after the lockdown ends, if it ends. Have you? Well, we, oh, have you been to one of these uh, before? Never. But my friend did it last week, and she beat the blackout. She didn't wow, win the night. Good for she her. Beat the blackout. Yeah, she's really good. She's just gotten through to the South Coast Comedian of the Year. I think that's been canned actually. The semi final. Um, she got through to that, and she was like a last-minute pulling for that. She didn't take anybody in the crowd, and it's a crowd voted for you know, South Coast Comedian of the Year, and she smashed that. She's super good. Catherine Vine, if you ever oh. see her on a lineup, Awesome. She's one to watch. Well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, um, the we had um, we had an absolutely... Our last show in, um, in Brighton was on a Sunday night, and the audience, some of them were absolutely smashed. It was... You could tell before we'd even started, there was going to be a riot, and it was... It, <laughs> the, 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 the heckling was just mental and it was a really good experience because it was like a bit like um one of these uh, you know one of those shows at up the creek where i've heard anyway uh where they encourage you to heckle encourage the audience to heckle give you a, give you a really hard time you know do that um so we, we were going to go and oh, watch wow. two like go and study two before going on hours which was going to be the next one you would have been the one you're on and the one after and then it would have been, um, uh, well, then it would have been time for hours, but now there's none. So, well, I will, I will make an effort. If yours is on, if you give me the heads up, I'll come up and watch and come and support your one and see what it's like. Then I'll know what I'm in for if you get the first awesome. one back. Okay. December the 3rd, if it's on, that's ours. We're, we're still scheduled. Um, but yeah, like I say, well, who knows? None of us know, do we really? What's going to happen at the end of it? Oh, so sorry yours got cancelled. That's no. dreadful. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been. So that would have been my little challenge to do. I have enough punchlines in my like five minutes or six minutes, whatever it is. So that would have been my little test for myself. But we'll see. Yeah. So um, I've got a corporate. I'm, so hope, I'm hoping to, there's a corporate so gig coming up for um, Agenda Network which I'm um, put myself forward for. It's not paid, but it sounds really interesting and it sounds like a good cause. And they want me to do 10 to 15 minutes. So I think I'm going to have to extend my gender, um, my standard set with some more gender material and possibly take out the, the Jewish stuff. Okay. I don't know if that's so relevant, uh, which will give me a chance to bring in some more stories about the differences between um, what it's like to be a man and what it's like to live as a woman and the, like what it's like to start hormones and, you know, some of the changes and, and, and how to tell that. I was practicing some stuff with some colleagues about how before lock, before lockdown, before, lockdown, before I transitioned, um, parking, you know, parking was just, it was really important to get the car straight in the space. That's what was, right? Now, as yeah. a woman, I found that, to be honest, and I'm not trying to say women can't park the same as well as men. Women can park just as well as men. Every bit is good. But... What, what I noticed is that I just can't be bothered anymore. I'd be having a conversation with my kids or there's something I needed to do. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to spend the next 30 seconds, one minute, stressing myself out and reversing it and forwards and back and forth just to get it flipping straight. And what? just leave it. You know, so what if it's a foot from the curb or if it's if it's an angle? Who cares? And But I say, you don't have the male expectations on you anymore. 
fuck it. Like, well, Go with the flow of life. It's more important. And I I don't know if, I, I mean, I really can't explain that other than that it's something that's happened through transition and, and hormones. So it's, it's weird <laughs> stuff like that, that, uh, yeah, it doesn't make me popular with a lot of women because a lot of women take it like I'm saying, we can't park. We can park. We can drive, but it's different. It's different. Yeah, it's easy to shrug off when you're a woman without the male expectation that it's got to be straight. Well, fuck it. I don't have to it's care just, about it's it. It's not that important anymore. It's just different no. things take on different yeah, importance. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was writing a bit, which again, I don't really know if I could pull it off. It was about uh, transgender people in the workplace um, and the equality of pay and wondering if you start to, obviously, if you've worked in the same place, I don't know how long you've worked at your current role, but if a man has worked somewhere for five years and he's paid more than a woman, you know, that gender pay gap doing the same job, um, do HR then use, if he then transitions, and the other females are listening, we want to have more equal pay with everybody. The men are paid more. And they were like, well, we've got a woman on the payroll who's paid, you know, a lot more and just the same as the men. So are they sort of being utilized by HR as a way of going, you know, there isn't a gender pay gap. We've got females on the payroll who are paid just as much. But they're yeah, it doesn't endear us to, to the women for, for, for doing that to them, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> thankfully there's just not enough of us to make a difference but yeah i take your point i mean more, more the biggest diff- biggest uh thing is is toilets of course because that's quite a generational thing um when i mean younger generation women are like well of course you use the ladies pretty much pretty much universally there's very very i've not met any hostility but older generation women are like well you know you've still got male bits and you know they feel comfortable with you and really it comes down to a kind of I, can't, I don't know. It's either a fear, um, which is understandable, or it's a kind of weirdness like, it, oh, it's a bit weird. I don't really want to be around that. Thanks. So there, there yeah. was, was a little bit of that. And I noticed there was one or two women who would go to a, a loo on a different floor who didn't used to before. Do that discreetly because I, yeah. I mean, I would just use the ladies and, um, yeah, and they did have a chat about it with HR, and they said I could use whichever one I wanted. It was up to me, up to me to tell them. And I was like, "Well, I don't want to antagonise women. I do respect." Surely there is more discretion in the ladies' toilets, and you using the ladies' toilets because it's all cubicled, and you know, you're not sort of stand. Whereas if it was a female coming into the men's toilets, when we're all stood there at these. You know, medieval urinals with our, you know, shoulder to shoulder with our dicks in our hands, and a woman walks in, you know, they, they're going to see. So it's not like you can walk in and see anything. I don't know. It seems a weird perspective to take of like, you know, we don't want you weeing in our ladies. Well, type of thing. no, no, I can completely get it. I mean, it's one thing having a woman walk in and have a, have a good laugh at your dicks, but I mean, <laughs> but this is, this is like, it's the ladies' club, you know. It's the ladies' club, and for some for some women, we're not proper women. So then we're kind of violating the space. And I do I do get that. I mean, I can I don't like that point of view. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. But I can understand that. Um, so there is just that little thing, and there were it was just the little kind of thing. The other thing that's interesting is um, reactions from people when you transition. You know, like um, the older generation, the best result I got was like, oh, 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 
Oh, I see. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be that was a good that really? was a good reaction. Yeah. Uh, but the younger generation was like, oh, best yeah. best reaction was oh, congratulations. Like, ah, oh, finally somebody gets it. Brilliant. So, because it is, it's like <laughs> it's a month of Sundays. It is a month of Sundays. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Yeah, well, like I say, I'd, I've got a couple of friends and sort of, you know, getting understanding. But you know, it's lovely, and I love hearing about, you know, what it's like, or you know, hearing stories or getting a, an an idea of, I don't know, just what what different perspective things are. So, I, I've loved it tonight. I've really appreciate. It. I know we sort of ran over the hour that I promised you when I wouldn't take up all your night, but. It's Me too. Great. It's been I've lovely talking it. with you and um, talking comedy and life and kids and exes and everything, really. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's been great. And um, I will, you know, I'll, I'll pop down and come and see your night. I say pop down; it's all the way down in Devon, isn't it? But I will come down and come and visit when uh, when the weather gets a bit better, and I'll bring the kids down to Devon. So I'll swing over and come and see you. And if you're ever up. You know, on the south coast again, up near Southampton. Feel free to pop in and come. Thank see you us very much. Yeah, you're always well. welcome. Um, and and uh, yeah, it'd be lovely to see you here or there. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, I've loved it. Thank you very much, Don. Um, so have a nice rest of your evening, and I'll send awesome. you. Awesome. When when do you think it will come out? Probably tomorrow. Okay. I'll have it all ready. You too. All these episodes of the podcast from The Lampoon are brought to you with the help of our friends over at Joke Pit. Uh, For any aspiring comedians or promoters out there, Joke Pit is a superb platform to post your events, to uh, develop your affiliates, post your merch. There's a million and one things you can do there. Um, And our friends there have helped us massively and there's a lot more to come from them. So check them out over at Joke Pit. Thank you very much.